This is Shannon in Durham, Chip in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5, episode 84, Between the Darkness and the Light. And hello again to those of you who have been listening for a few or a lot of episodes. Um, Hello to anybody who has just found us. We are continuing uh, closing in on the end of season four, more rather quickly. uh, Holy crap, it's quickly coming at us. Babylon 5, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what, four more episodes? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) The, the 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 civil war is bearing down on us. I mean, and God only knows. Well, we know uh, what's <laughs> going to happen in the in the next season. But boy, stuff is happening fast. Mm-hmm. Again, I think JMS is writing as the story demands more than anything else. We've talked in the past about how some episodes have the the a plot b plot thing going on, and and there are things that we never never hear about again. Uh, and then there are times when all of the sto- there may be different things going on, but they all weave into like one major thing and then they're all connected. And, you know, then we get like last episode, we basically had two men in a room for the entire episode. Uh, and that was it. So as you said, things are building. Things are building. The, the Earth Civil War is getting close to its peak. Uh, by the end of this episode, they're headed for Mars right next door. And a lot happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so cinematic. It really it felt mm-hmm. epic and big. And I I actually have a confession to make. I don't have any notes this week, you guys. <laughs> I've been uh, you know inside baseball. I've moved. I've been traveling. So I'm just you know my uh, my brain mm-hmm. has been sort of all over the place. And it's been a while since we've actually sat down and recorded. So we sat down and we started watching the episode. And like just after. I hit play and we watched the cold open like the opening credits were going and I was like oh crap I'm not taking notes like my whole routine was gone I had forgotten that I usually have my computer in front of me and then I was just like you know what forget it I'm just gonna watch this episode and I'm so glad I did because it washed over me like this wave of drama that Mm -hmm. was so intense that I'm I'm just I'm excited to talk about it I remember it very well so you don't have to worry about that but (laughs) but yeah I'm not working from notes like I usually am. Yeah, I have fewer notes than usual. I, I was w- watching more than I was writing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode really kept me breathless. Even the small amount of screen time that we got for, like, Jakar and Londo and the League of Non-Aligned Worlds and, and stuff like that, you know, there were grace notes all over the place in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it paired with relentless action. The fight between uh, Susan's fleet and the hybrid... Earth Force vessels, which looked creepy, as I remembered. Um, <laughs> the breaking in to get Sheridan out. A lot has to happen in this thing, and there are a couple of like clunker lines here and there. But uh, I, <laughs> I haven't. So right. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> but aside from that, it's amazing how much happens in like 42, 43 minutes, and it may be maybe too much happens, but it weirdly enough, it didn't feel rushed to me. Mm-mm. Just packed, yep. packed, yes. But like like you said, not not rushed. I I genuinely can't think of any point that needed to be more explained or more supported. 
Um, even like you said, even the the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, you know, they they could have if they wanted to, had like you know Londo and uh, Jakar, you know, meet and put their heads together and say, let's do this. But they didn't have to, you know, it, it wasn't needed to convey the story. It's just good stuff. It's just good stuff. It's it's the most fun I've had watching Babylon Five in a while. And I, I'm I'm telling I'm I'm not saying to be that fair. I've, it's been a while since we've watched because, uh, like Erica, we've been traveling. <laughs> right, but there are probably better episodes. But mm-hmm. this is this this one is it's a roller coaster, but it's not a romp because the stuff that happens here is really meaningful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Anything else before we get into our routine? No, let's dive in. Okay, so. If for some weird cosmic reason, this is the first episode that you have seen and joined us for, what you need to know, Babylon 5 is spearheading a military campaign to free Earth from a totalitarian government with support from alien allies made back during the Shadow War. The Alliance fleet has been freeing colonies and collecting defectors to their side. Captain Sheridan was taken prisoner by Earth forces and tortured thanks to former B-5 security chief Michael Garibaldi, who, in turn, had been compromised by Psycop Alfred Bester. In this episode, Garibaldi gets captured by the Mars Resistance over his role in Sheridan's capture, but this turns out to be a good thing because they take him to Dr. Franklin and telepath Lita Alexander, who verifies his story. The Mars Resistance gives some help, and they are able to free Sheridan. Commander Ivanova has been kicking ass and taking names, chasing down ships led by captains who have attacked civilian targets, but when she leads a counter-strike against an ambush of Earth ships upgraded by shadow technology, she is mortally wounded in the fight. Ambassador Malari leads an effort to have the League of Non-Aligned Worlds give backup support as the Earth ships in the Resistance turn toward freeing Mars. And that is Between the Darkness and the Light. Between the Candle we... and the Flame. I was about to say, do we have anything we wanted to say about the title before we started pulling apart the episode? Yeah, I like the Candle and the Flame line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not a great title. Mm-mm. So we'll just discard it and go on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it might as well have been between the the frying pan and the fire. Like, you know, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I guess first things first, as far as I was thinking, they free Sheridan. They We, we get a few glimpses of what has uh, been happening to him as for a week, as we learn that they've had him for a week. And they have gotten to the point of drugging him uh, to where he thinks he's talking to uh, Dr. Franklin instead of the uh, interrogator. And then things start getting weird. Um, that is well, I mean, such that was... a great scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah it, I thought... it opened and, and Stephen was, uh, my Stephen, uh, was just like, whoa, what happened? And then, you know, he's, <laughs> he starts saying, yeah, you never even got a chance to tell me how you got away. And he, you know, starts ta- and stop talking. And again, my Stephen is like, really 
what? Like, I don't know if he was completely buying it. I think he I think he thought that it was, I don't know, a, a dream sequence or something, mm-hmm. which I guess it kind of was. But yeah, but yeah it, it seemed really convincing. I mean, the first time I saw it, I remember being like, oh, wow, they they're just skipping over that whole part because you have to do some shortcuts when you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, serialized television. So in theory, that's the thing that they could have done. And then, you know, maybe even told the story in flashbacks throughout the episode. So like that could have been a legit scene. But it wasn't. No, and I love right. the way that they mixed it up, and right. you sometimes had Richard Biggs in the uh, interrogation in, room, interrogation room, yeah. and you had the interrogator in Sheridan's quarters. You know, the, just mixing it up to emphasize the unreality of it, the drug-addled haze of uh, Sheridan's mind. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I also have to say that Bruce Boxleitner's performance there was good because he seemed very natural when he was just having dinner with his pal Stephen. And then the scenes where Stephen is talking to the assistant or it's the interrogator talking to the assistant, he's just blankly staring ahead. And it mm-hmm. is it's not so over the top that it makes it look silly or creepy. It's just like they've turned him off like it's just a, mm-hmm. a switch has been flipped and he's just just sitting. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. pretty good. I also liked the the sort of the combination of, you know, Sheridan wasn't saying anything that was untrue, and yet he was managing not to give them anything that they could use. I mean, you know, the fact that, yes, the Mars Resistance does use the number system to identify number one and so forth. But, you know, when it came to some anything specific or detailed, he was, you know, pausing or backtracking and, you know, apparently still fighting whatever it was they were trying to do to him. He's our, our strong yeah. captain, our our big hero. Yeah. yeah. Is he too strong? Well, you know, um, that's a good question because at the beginning of the episode, he is in worse shape than he ever was in Intersections in Real Time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By the end of the episode, he is striding onto the bridge of the Agamemnon, and this mm-hmm. is just moving really darn quickly. So I think that... I think that narratively speaking, I mean, let's let's we've we've talked about this in non-spoiler space before, so let's let's repeat this. They didn't know that they were going to get renewed for season five. Mm-hmm. They had mm-hmm. to make a lot of choices to accelerate the timeline, and we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the season. I don't know that it would have been possible or believable for him to come onto the bridge of the Agamemnon in a wheelchair the way that Franklin went to work mm-hmm. in a wheelchair after mm-hmm. walkabout uh, after his yeah. walkabout experience but right but yeah. it is a little I fast mean, yeah mm-hmm. and i can't decide whether it helps or hurt that hurts that jms tried in dialogue to at least address it a little bit when sheridan and delenn are reunited and you know mm-hmm. they they she runs up to him and you know they kiss and she asks him you know you know essentially how how are you and he starts off saying i'm fine and then he's like okay well no we'll deal with it later you know, you know, it's like, I'll talk yes, about there's... it when I'm ready. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, JMS does try to at least address that. Yes, Sheridan is going to get have to go through a healing process. And like I said, I, I can't decide whether it's a good thing that he at least said, yeah, I know this has to happen. Or if that's almost like lampshading the fact that there's no time to do it in a more... Um, in, in a in more a, exhaustive or realistic fashion. Mm-hmm. Realistic, yep. that, yeah, yeah, not exhaustive, but realistic. If we compare this to, as we did a little bit last time, to uh, Chains, of, Chains of Command, part one and two of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, 
Picard, after he walks out, after he defiantly says that there is a correct number of lights, <laughs> the episode ends with him leaving the bridge, going into the ready room, beginning his conversation with, you know, basically beginning therapy with Counselor Troy. Fade to black, and we never see that again. Never. Mm-hmm. Going back to the best of both worlds part one and two and the follow-up family that is a fantastic episode of next generation where you just have three slices of life you never get on the bridge picard gets into a mud fight with his brother uh and at the end of that episode uh picard you know breaks down in tears about what the borg did to him and we never see anything about that of substance again until like star trek first contact the movie there's a rich tradition in this stuff of alluding to the damage that these characters undergo without without doing enough to really mm-hmm. make it real. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. I mean, is in a way is, is kind of okay because, you know, this, this is fiction and it's, it, it, we're skipping over a lot of stuff that is real. A lot of a lot of actual reactions to things and and actual ways that people would come through stuff that have happened all the way through. I mean, honestly, if all of the stuff that has happened in Babylon Five had actually happened to a group of people, I mean, who knows how many of them would have made it through without some serious um, mental and physical ramifications at this point. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it would be nice to to dig into that at least a little bit more. Um, just for character development's sake, if if nothing else, but but yeah, the acceleration means that there's just not a lot of time for it, and and I think that that's that's a thing that I, that's probably the kind of thing that I would sacrifice if I was mm-hmm. if I was in a position to do this, because you know, I mean, if you've known anyone who has gone through trauma, sometimes they are able to sort of put that aside and go on with life for a while, and eventually it can come back and when it does it can be really really ugly after after pushing that all down for so long um so i mean that's something that they they certainly could be dealt with in the future for that character in that fictional universe but dealing with it immediately wasn't necessarily something that i thought had to happen right they performed some narrative shorthand and i think that that is enough Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i think fandom tends to fill in the blanks on its own (laughs) <laughs> that so. is so true headcanon <laughs> accepted mm-hmm. <laughs> anything else uh as far as uh sheridan himself we can sort of tie it into you know we have um our trio of, of garibaldi franklin and lita who go in to rescue him and you know when when the rescue happens there's an interesting point where sheridan he finds a gun picks it up and then he just starts firing mm-hmm. at one of the guards and i think that's that's almost a more helpful signal that mm. that yes he's been that sorely wounded than than his comment to Delenn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's you know it, I like the the narrative shorthand sort of thing that you said, Chip, mm-hmm. and I think that that was actually a piece of narrative shorthand to show just how much he's been through. This is not a character that is normally, you know, he, he's not gun happy to start with, and right. and when he does have to use his gun, he's always been pretty judicious with it, and mm-hmm. and this is completely out of character for the man that we know. So I think that yeah. I think that it 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 says a lot. A picture a PPG is worth a thousand words. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so moving over to from Sheridan to his rescuers, we've got Franklin and Lita uh, get brought to meet with Garibaldi after the resistance finds him and captures him. And number one's not fooling around. 
she's just like, here, it's your right. Kill him. Kill him off. <laughs> she's so great. She is so great. She- but Richard Biggs, uh, uh, yeah. uh, let me, I've got I've to say, uh, on top of his performance as not Franklin, his performance right. as Franklin is so good here, too, because he's going to give Garibaldi a chance to explain himself. Yeah, but he when, always, always mm-hmm. hears the other side. That is so Franklin. That's so Franklin. <laughs> but when Garibaldi's like, oh, thank God, Stephen. Stephen's not having any of it because uh-huh. Garibaldi sold out his friend and boss. You know, uh, right. it's 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 Stephen being principled, but still being mad as hell. Right. Right. And that's something that, you know, you don't always see when, you know, a character's you know, going to hear the other person out, the fact that, you know, the rage is still there. I don't think that often happens in scenarios like this. And it's a good thing. Yeah, I actually, I like the, the, that's so Stephen, because that's exactly what I was thinking when that was happening. I was like, how realistic is it for, you know, these characters in the middle of, in the middle of a room full of people who are mostly armed that are are not going to take kindly to you making that move. Are you really going to grab a gun and try to defend somebody who might? Oh yeah, this is Steven. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> it works. It really works. Yes. Yeah. Um, Steven is great throughout this, although he has less to do once the once once Garibaldi sort of takes charge of the rescue. He's got he's got much less to do uh, for the rest mm-hmm. of the episode. Patricia Tallman as Lita. She shows, once more, an awful lot of range this episode, but I think some of it really did need to to be dialed back. I don't think that's her fault. I am absolutely not going to lay any of this at the fault of her. It is is the writing and the directing. I mean, if I was the director of this episode, I would have been like, no, we are cutting this scene out. It absolutely does not fit the tone of the rest of the episode. I mean, I appreciated the, 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 the scene, like, it's the three of them talking. They're kind of bantering a little bit. You know, it's a little Three Stooges-y, but I was okay with it because it gave us a little bit of an echo of that closeness that these characters used to have, which was kind of a nice thing after having Garibaldi taken away for so long. I felt like I needed that in my and heart. If we rem- yeah, and, and if we remember, this is Garibaldi's thing. He jokes in mm-hmm. tense situations. So, you know, having him back to do that is great. You know, and yes, he drags yep. the other two in with him. Uh, and I if, just they felt- just, if they would have just let you know let them walk off the screen and even given given lita the line saying you know hey i don't think i like what people are saying about me what do you mean and just followed along just stopped and right, cut right there. there but on the other hand i thought she was great i wish that we could have had that scene in a different episode in a different place because her little her little like frown at the very end <laughs> just before she walks away is the cutest thing in the entirety of this show it was just <laughs> adorable so i mean i'm i'm kind of still glad i got to see her go on like that but at the same time it just it stuck out like a sore thumb yeah yeah i was shocked once more i had forgotten that she's the one who just rests away somebody's automatic rifle and just starts firing like hell that that's <laughs> yes. she does and 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 when she, she takes she wasn't out, turning as a psychop at one point yeah, yeah and, except she did not look like she knew how to use that right no 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 great. no totally yeah. not totally not i mean and that was and but but i like that i like that mm-hmm. it was her doing something perfect. uncharacteristic but it was perfect and and then when they get the access codes from the guards and then she whispers pain and just sort of widens <laughs> her eyes like that a little bit 
I still think that Pat maybe could have dialed it back a little bit, and it still would have been good. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but on balance, it's a good it's a good turn yeah. for her. I, I'm she sorry when so when much. she starts with Garibaldi and then turns around and shows number one what she has yes. learned. I mean, all is forgiven. I will I will never not turn down a chance for super telepath Lita. Yeah, goosebumps. Yeah, and I also like this is something I had later in uh, my notes, but you know it fits here now. The, the entire first part where they are uh, dealing with Garibaldi and the fact that the Alliance comes so close to falling apart over him, you know, that that uh, it could have been so easy if they had not gotten those guns in time, uh, would all three of them have gone down in, in a firefight? The fact that there's no hint of the fact that Dr. Franklin and number one ever slept together. I mean, you know, they, <laughs> they neither one of them... It doesn't even occur to you. Well, maybe it occurs to Stephen a little bit, but you know they're not even thinking about using that as part of uh, their strategy to convince the other one that they're right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so full of emotion and shows just how volatile things are and how they can turn on a dime. Um, I really, really liked. The, the whole sequence. Yeah. I mean, Garibaldi with a bag over his head and getting just randomly beaten the hell out of. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, kidney punch, man. Ow. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's desperate and he's scared. And, and I think it's also true to him, and it also gets him, almost seals his fate. When he starts talking to Stephen, like, you can't let me end like this. You can't let me. You know, it's sort of about him and about mm-hmm. him screwing up and about mm-hmm. him having because lost something. Because so he's so desperate to fix what he's so desperate to fix what's wrong. But do. that's not Franklin's problem. Franklin doesn't right. give a damn about uh, Garibaldi's feelings of obligation. Stephen wants to know where Sheridan is and why Garibaldi did it. Mm-hmm. And and Franklin's giving him his moment to try to explain himself but it's not for garibaldi's benefit Mm-mm. right no and that comes across so clear in in the writing and the performance and and the direction and yeah i think that i mean i keep thinking of lots of different scenes and being like oh this was so good oh that was so good but yeah this one this scene so good so good mm-hmm. it ends with yet more narrative shorthand we've got to keep moving so mm-hmm. uh lita gives number one a blip vert basically of mm-hmm. everything that <laughs> happened and number one accepts it and we don't have time for the rest of the mars resistance to say that to accuse lita of mind controlling her or anything else like that just yep mm-hmm. here we go we've we've got to move on yep Here's a couple people. Here's 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 this one female resistance fighter to lead you so uh, you can do your rescue. With a really great accent. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know where she was from, but I loved her voice. I wanted her to talk more. <laughs> I should yeah. look her up. But and... they do. It, it's it's a it's a fairly believable rescue situation. Mm-hmm. And it gets us to the it gets it gets Sheridan where he needs to be. And in the end, um, on the Agamemnon and, you know, it. it it all works. Some of it may not reward, you know, a really, really close look at some of the seams, but it all does work. Yep. Indeed. Meanwhile, in space, we've got battles going on uh, with Ivanova taking no prisoners. Well, yeah, they take prisoners, but yes. <laughs> she's not wasting time. I'll put yes. it that way. She, she's no. not wasting time. It certainly does look like uh, the the Clark administration was wrong that the uh, Earth that the uh, resistance would fold with Sheridan mm-hmm. on ice. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sorry. Yep. Death incarnate is stepping up. <laughs> yeah, I that was another bit that I thought was a little more over the top than it needed to be. I mean, I, I get it. Ivanova is like, she gets intense. And when she's intense, she she gets like this a little bit. But this wasn't like a face-to-face thing where she was about to punch somebody. It was, you know, just she's about to fire some weapons. And it was, I mean, I still think it was cool. I loved watching her do it. I genuinely got goosebumps. But like sort of more objectively in my, in my, I don't know, cerebral brain state, I was just a little bit like, eh. But yeah. then, you know, the, the rest of me was viscerally going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I'm yeah, going I get what you're saying, Erica, but I also mm-hmm. feel like um, it's sort of in character for what we've seen in the show up to this point. Um, Ivanova's always been good with, you know, making her statements, making her pronouncements. But it makes me think back to when she learns about the first attack that kills tens of thousands of civilians and mm-hmm. takes it to Sheridan. And she storms into his quarters and she's practically screaming over it. So I kind of feel like this personal mission aspect of taking down all of these people that have caused all of these wrongs fuels that speech. So it still works for me. I I get what you're saying. You know, maybe it was a line too long. I'm not sure which line I would have cut, but but it did not throw me out of the story. Yeah. JMS uh, was somebody, one of the fans online called him on it, and his response to that's quoted at the Lurker's Guide. It says, and he says, yeah, it was a bit over the top, deliberately so. I put it in the category of a boxer who's going up against an opponent who may be well-matched and wants to psych the other person out. If you look at give me liberty or give me death or similar statements made to rally support or make a point, they're generally bigger than life, a bit over the top. That's so we can know where the top is, so we can climb up there ourselves. Now, that's JMS's <laughs> statement. And as far as that goes, that's that's fine, but... There's weird. There's a weird rhythm to Ivanova's little speech there that doesn't work yeah, for me. But, it's elevated mm-hmm. and then it deep dips down to going to kick your ass and then comes back up to elevated God sent. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's. I would have liked it better if it had just sort of built instead of uh, it, instead of being a sine wave. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you. Maybe that would have that would have helped and helped it feel a little. Having it be a little smoother would have made it less weird mm-hmm. for me but like yeah. i said i still got goosebumps so i'm not like entirely yeah. complaining and you know and and she's working on only four hours of sleep so. that's true because <laughs> yeah. marcus cheated oh she was only supposed to get two and a half uh, no surprise minor note though uh props to claudia christian and the makeup department because mm-hmm. she is yes. not looking glam at all this episode. Right. And mm-hmm. it is so appropriate. She's usually got the red lipstick on. And no, she just, she looks like she's mm-hmm. tired and she's been busy and she ain't got no time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. But uh, speaking of Marcus, I there was a, I don't know if it was in the script or if it was a directorial thing, but there were a number of... Um, of scenes that I thought ended a little bit oddly because they really stretched out after the dialogue was done more than usually happens on Babylon 5. And it was always just to leave a lingering shot on Marcus, like staring pensively into the distance. And I was like, I'm not, again, I am not complaining. I will stare at Marcus all day. But it was it was a thing that felt different from Babylon 5 normally. And I know it was just to sort of, you know, reinforce the, the you know, he's having feels 
about her very clearly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that yeah, so like, much of his his dialogue mm-hmm. and his body language and everything is is yeah, yeah. is, is it, showing that, that is making the full declaration not that and, we not that we didn't delicious. know this. Yeah. 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 Um I will I will say that I thought that the editing in this episode was a little erratic, uh, more erratic than usual. There was a, a there was a moment when uh the bag mysteriously appeared again on Garibaldi's yeah. head uh and then disappeared again. <laughs> Did you happen to notice that at that very point was when the editor's name, like their credit, appeared on the screen? It was almost like Stephen pointed that out. He was like, that was a weird edit. And he was like, it was almost like, here, I am the editor. And here is my F up. He didn't say that. That or uh, that or uh, JMS uh, timed the uh, timed the credits application himself. (laughs) And I mean, as Stephen pointed out, that that probably wasn't the editor's fault there's a good chance that that was a direction thing and that they just didn't get coverage for that moment so they're like they just didn't even have a close-up on anybody else's face that they could even use but you know i guess there's not really yeah. any way of knowing at this part this but, point this far down the line but similarly there was one shot of marcus where i swear to god his hair was at double volume from the <laughs> previous and the following cuts i'm just saying <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like... It happens. It happens. Mm -hmm. You can see, you know, in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy's pigtails, like, you know, grow and shrink and grow and shrink. (laughs) It's it's like angle number one on Marcus, season nine, Peter Capaldi. Angle number two, season (laughs) 10. Angle number three, season nine. I'm just saying. (laughs) L-O-L. But uh, I guess Uh, there's more to talk about uh, those two characters than hair, huh? Than hair? I suppose, if you say so. (laughs) <laughs> no, it was sweet. It was, it. you know, we've been watching Marcus, you know, I'm not going to say pine over her because he doesn't, he does not strike me as the pining type, but definitely sort of like, you know, quietly swooning um, and just caring from a distance. And I like the fact that he's not like, in this case, at least he's not super creepy about it. Like, you know, he does the thing where he checks to see if she's actually awake by putting his hand in front of her face. I thought he was going to, like, put his hand on her forehead and, like, touch her in her sleep, which I was ready to be kind of, like, ooked out by that. But he didn't. He just wanted to see if she was really asleep. And, and I was like, okay, that's that's a cool move. And he lets her sleep and, you know. And then the moment where she she uh, reveals that she's learned a little bit of Mimbari and she recognizes what he said and... The look on Claudia Christian's face was just, I think she played it perfectly. She could have gone too high or too low with it. It was just the just right warm smile with a hint of, I don't even know what the word is, but just sort of like, you know, not quite embarrassment, not quite modesty. She just, there was a lot going on in her face and I appreciated it. And he matches it in response. Oh, I mean, yeah. that they, right. he could have just, he, he could have comically, uh, he could have comically leaned against something and fallen down or something like that. You know, he could have been something really painfully over the top. This is a serious moment. They're about to go into war. They're about to potentially die. They're, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of time for sentimentality. And neither of them plays this particularly sentimenta- sentimental. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. it's honest feeling mutually expressed. And then they put a pin in it and we'll come back to this if we survive this. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. So of, of course, course. Then they don't and yes, of course, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Now we we have um, you know debris smashing through a cockpit. Well, you know, <sighs> yeah, if that you're was gonna... another weirdly weirdly edited moment too, because like she braces, and then we have how many seconds before the ship's mm-hmm. even remotely hit? 
was a little little off. And then, of course, apparently the only person standing on the deck completely unheard is Marcus. Of course. Well, he does you know, crawl whoever... out of from under something. Now, was he picking up a was he picking up a lifelike dummy of Claudia Christian, or did they just? <laughs> I don't is, know. Is he just that built? I I think he was just I think he's just that built. I mean, he he genuinely looked like he was struggling a little bit. So mm-hmm. I I was just sort of impressed. I can't remember. I was watching something recently, and. Uh, a character had to carry a, like a full glass of, of juice up the stairs and oh it was my man Godfrey from like the 1940s and then later in the movie he has to carry like the main actress in the film all the way up the stairs and I was like man like this is they didn't have special effects for this kind of thing they just had to like they just had to do it and hope they got the take right and I honest I was I was flashing back to that while I was mar- watching Marcus carry her because not only is he carrying her he's got to walk over all this debris and at one point right. he almost trips I was like that's legit like that uh-huh. That's what would happen. Yeah, I, I thought it was really her too. So. Mm-hmm. Of course, we get the big reveal of what Earth has been doing with the leftover shadow technology since the shadows left. Yeah. Stephen was, was like, did we know that? Did we know that they had shadow technology? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, they were, we knew that they were sort of working with the shadows. Mm-hmm. But... Yep, and they had that ship that was, you know, eventually our, our heroes destroyed. Um but but yeah, the 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 creep factor of those ships that you are used to seeing as Earth Alliance ships decked out with spikes and darkness. Mm-hmm. Oof, that was that that hit me. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it did like the first few times I, I saw this. But this time watching it, having paid such close attention to the the visuals Mm-hmm. of the the series um probably more than i ever did before like really closely that just sent it sent fear straight into my heart like a shard of ice it was that was intense yeah i'm not sure that we never get a really good close up look at the ships and i'm not sure that a close inspection of them would have uh looked as realistic Perhaps I, never do. I, I, I mean, I mean, it's sort of you're sort of wrapping the that sort of shimmering coating that the shadow ships were in over the over essentially the the same framework of mm-hmm. the alliance ships and then sticking the spikes on them, you know. But but the camera didn't linger on them too long. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's why it was successful because it was the same framework like seeing somebody that you love and trust and who mm-hmm. always wears like jeans and t-shirts and you know these sandals and socks and stuff like that if you saw them suddenly show up in like leather and chains and you know white makeup on their face and like totally you know i don't know gothed out or something like that would be like more than just a double take you'd be like what the heck is going on unless it's halloween but this was not halloween no <laughs> no this was definitely not halloween no i i thought it was I thought it was a well done effect overall myself of, you know, just mm-hmm. making it making it look like unreal. You know, th- this mashup, this obvious mashup of, you know, the, the humans trying to jam shadow tech into their destroyers. And this is what they came up with. It, it is it is ugly. It is frightening. Um, mm-hmm. It's inelegant. And, you know, here I am scratching my head going like, who the hell did you get to pilot these things? Yeah, really, really. <laughs> I can I can picture some people being like, "Whoa, that's totally badass." Um, I'm helming that thing. So, <laughs> oh, anything else? Um, as far as that subplot at the moment? Nope, I'm good. I'm okay. good for now. 
Okay. Oh, 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 one last. I, do, yes. I'm, I, I lied. Uh, okay, not good. Claudia not good. does a great job, as does uh, Bruce at the yes. hospital bedside. Everybody yeah. does. Uh, they, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's not histrionic. It's heartfelt emotion. Uh, I like the writing of Sheridan being straight with Susan, soldier to soldier, about yeah. the extent mm-hmm. of her injuries and all yeah. that. It's, 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 it's a good scene. This is a good episode for Claudia Christian, who hasn't had a whole lot to do in a lot of episodes this season. Stephen right. mentioned that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And other than that, we've got um, you know we we mentioned it earlier uh, the the alliance uh, basically pulling a fast one on Delenn in order to go in and support, uh, even though. You know, even though they say they're doing it for Sheridan, and I'm not sure why Sheridan's capture changes things so much. Um, but before this, uh, he had, Sheridan had been very, very careful uh, to try and stay with um, just Earth ships, just Earth Alliance people being in this fight. He he absolutely didn't want to use more than minimal support. You know, all the the White Stars. You gotta. <laughs> That was apparently the one thing that he that he let through, yeah, right? Um, but it's a but it's a neat scene that, to show a solidarity from this group of alien ambassadors that uh, Sheridan did pull together into working with each other against the shadows. The karma comes back, and that's a good thing. And also, it, it, we get to see um, Londo doing something good. I have to admit, I teared up at that scene. <laughs> Didn't expect it, but. I was just overwhelmed by, you know, we're kind of in the middle of this point in the series where it's just, it's heavy. Actually, that's what Stephen said as soon as the episode was over. He's like, wow, that was heavy. And we've had, you know, a few heavy, heavy episodes in a row. And it's that, that point in the story where everything is going just lousy for our main characters. And we get this really kind of sideways, unexpected moment of hope and brightness. And it's not comic relief. And it's not, I didn't feel like it was, you know, saccharine sentimentality. I just thought it was just joyous. And the idea that they are, you know, trying to sneak around behind Delenn's back to protect her so that mm-hmm. there's no whiff of impropriety in in the actions that they're taking. And then the fact that doing this this good deed um, with, you know, pretty much there's they're not getting anything out of it, mm-hmm. that all of these characters are clearly feeling great joy about it themselves. The look on, like, Londo's face, the, oh my God, Andreas Katsoulis, I can't remember mm-hmm. the exact line he says, but it's like just after he gets up, the first syllable of the first word he says is so full of emotion, it's just like raw and dripping. And then he pulls it together for like the rest of the word. I mean, you just feel like Jakar is is feeling this really, really deeply. And then you get a great close up on Veer talking mm-hmm. about, you know, politics and and I can't remember whatever the other word together. Politics just, and morality. Morality, yeah. yes. And I that was at the moment where I just like I just started getting weepy because it was this wonderful, pure moment in the middle of this otherwise really heavy and you know emotionally draining episode i i found it very very strongly affecting totally agree that it it really worked for me like i said it it didn't have to be there plot wise Mm -hmm. there's no reason for it but the fact that it's there 
and we touch back, mm-hmm. you know, because of course the, this show, the entire show is centered around Babylon 5, the International Space Station. Um, mm-hmm. And at the moment we are in this very Earth-centric story arc. So, you know, hey, let's remind everyone of the bigger picture and let's do it in this positive way um, where, you know, he may not know it yet, but Sheridan is being rewarded for the work he has done in the past. So, yeah. Yep. Erica, you've mentioned a couple of things that Stephen had to say. Is there anything else that he brought up that you haven't mentioned? Well, as I I didn't take my usual notes, I couldn't like, you know, be the... uh, be mm-hmm. the stenographer after he he gave his uh, his ideas after just tell but, us erica did he curse <laughs> i don't think he cursed um no no he just like i said he said that was heavy and i was like did you like it and he's like oh yeah he really really enjoyed this episode he like i said mentioned the the weird editing but mm-hmm. was very impressed by how it just feels like this is is all sort of coming together and things are happening fast and it's it's that just he just he's really enjoying the story, uh, really enjoying the ride, and that makes me so happy because you know, several years ago at this time I was you know I was wondering like is is he gonna make he it gonna, this far? Is he gonna <laughs> stick it out? Like so so I think he feels like he's he's really glad that he has has done that and is really interested and he's super interested to see what happens in series five. But I am not giving him hints. So exactly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he's no longer our control group. That's exactly right. (laughs) As far as other stuff before we go into spoiler space, um, something that sort of leaped out at me, I felt this was, for whatever reason, JMS seemed to throw a lot of personal opinion in the writing this time around, or uh, at least, you know, was throwing a lot of things out there that leaped out at me. You know, usually he's a little more subtle, I think, in uh, working in some of his beliefs. Um, like the the wise crack from the guard about TV. <laughs> oh God, the the poorly poorly delivered yeah. wise crack. Yeah, I thought that was him poking fun a little well, bit yeah. at critics. So yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know the fact that it was in there at all was mm-hmm. was what jumped out at me. Uh, we mentioned a minute ago uh, Veer's line about how you know when do politics and morality get to line up like this? That mm-hmm. sounded very JMS to me. Mm-hmm. I also, it leaped out at me, uh, the idea of the truth speaks for itself, uh, that Lita says, uh, after, um, throwing Mm -hmm. the scan at, uh, number one. It just, there were several instances of the, of that in, in this episode that, um, I felt like, you know, JMS was taking the opportunity to, to say something directly to his audience. Interesting. Anything else that anybody has to point out? I've got tons of stuff. Well, but yeah, but before we go through the mm-hmm. jump date. Nope, I am I am so ready for spoiler space. All right, then uh, we will make our move to uh, the sector and get ready to ambush a few people. Your homework, <laughs> those of you who are leaving us at this point because you are staying spoiler free because it's your first time watching this episode and we love that you're listening to us and watching this show. Um, your homework is Endgame. That's a telling title mm-hmm. and we will see what everybody has to say about it in two weeks in the meantime you are more than welcome to come and talk to us about what you are seeing whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the 20th time at our website b5audioguide.com where we have our chat threads for every episode we are also active on twitter and we have a tumblr and you are welcome to come and voice your opinion at us at any of those places so until next time 
people who are jumping off now, we will see you on the flip side. Everyone else, let's go through a jump gate. Okay, and we're back. Ah, uh, been Chip, a while since I we've had such a meaty spoiler space, huh? <laughs> shall, yep. shall I give you the floor, dear? <laughs> Actually, before you before you take the okay. floor, I I do want to say one thing. Speaking of our control group, that Stephen is aware of, and I can't remember if I mentioned this before, that he he had already learned that. Uh, Claudia Christian was leaving the show, but that's a thing that even I, as a like non fandom person, knew uh, at the time. So I don't feel like it's terribly spoilerific because that was a thing that, if I'm not mistaken, was kind of known around that time, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially since these last this last batch of episodes once again was held until like the very end, just before reruns. I'm not sure yep. that these episodes actually got rerun on uh, syndicated TV. So mm-hmm. the last four episodes, and then it goes poof and shows up on uh, TNT in a couple of months. Uh, but yeah, this would not have ended the way it ended if JMS had known that Claudia Christian was not going to come back. Mm-hmm. So the the fact that this really does sabotage season five in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I, I'm sort of dreading, you know, Stephen's looking so forward to what's going to happen in season five. And Mm -hmm. he's got a slog to get through before it starts getting good again. And you're going to have to maintain one hell of a poker face. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's all right. Uh, I've watched series five, season five, so many fewer, like much less. So I don't remember it all that well. So it's kind of easy to do the poker face thing. Yeah. Okay. I I continue. To, I'm, I'm I'm going to keep an open mind. I I mm-hmm. I recall watching it at the time, thinking that it wasn't as bad as some of my more vitriolic and knee jerky fellow Babylon Five fans uh, regarded it at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, open mind, open mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. Trying our best. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of running off a couple of things uh, that we'll be talking about. Very next episode, and the Civil War wraps up. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they say, oh, we're headed to Mars. And, you know, the, the feeling is, well, you know, f- they'll take Mars next episode, and the following episode, they'll start going after Earth. And it's like, no, bada bing, bada boom. And <laughs> no. it all falls down. I think it will feel right. I think there it'll feel, feel mm-hmm. like there's some narrative shorthand involved when um, President Clark turns the defense grid on the Earth and things like that. And things things have to resolve neatly so that the series can end. But the good piece of that is that um, you get rising stars as the epilogue that we would have had if the show had ended this season. That's sort of a full episode of cleaning up after the Civil War and putting uh, Sheridan in place as the uh, Interstellar Alliance's president. Um, so I'm glad that the I'm glad that the war itself resolves next episode, so we can get the closure of the following episode, mm-hmm. including yep. that great scene between Sheridan and Bester. <laughs> I honestly don't remember what you're talking about, so I'm just looking forward to it. Awesome. Yep. See, this is the point where I like I become our pseudo control group because <laughs> like I know the broad strokes, but I really don't remember very well. So this is this has been yeah. exciting, which is why I'm extra glad that I didn't take notes because I just got to experience this episode, which even this one I didn't remember all that well. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, yeah. this is this is really going to be fun you guys i'm excited extra yeah. excited yeah um i like i think there's several narrative tricks shorthands or whatever that uh work very well um between like the last couple of episodes this episode to set up things for next episode um we've had more frequent mentions and issues with the uh frozen telepaths Mm -hmm. um because come next episode we're going to find out that uh they've been slipped onto just earth force destroyers and other places so that they can disrupt um disrupt the ships completely so that sherida can have a nearly bloodless uh advance on on earth itself um and we have you know in this episode the reminder of just how uh powerful lita is because she's going to be the one to pull that trigger Mm -hmm. um so I really like the way they do that. I also wonder if um, number one's insistence on how thinly stretched the Mars resistance is right now sort of ties into that as well, because somebody's got to be moving the telepops onto the ships. So, telepops. <laughs> yeah, um, like head ca- cannon accepted. I think that that's uh, I think that that's really, really reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was uh this is not, or rather, this would not have been the last time we saw the notion of Earth Force uh, using shadow technology. It would have been a big piece of Crusade. There is an episode of Crusade where Captain Gideon uh, recalls the destruction of his old ship, and he sees a vessel that the Babylon uh project the the wiki uh, the babylon 5 wikia uh describes as a shadow hybrid and there was a shot of it and it's a it is a ship that has that looks shadowish but it has sort of earth alliance ish lines of a sort anyway this was just the this was just the beginning there would have mm-hmm. been lots more in the babylon 5 universe about um unscrupulous earth alliance or earth force uh, people still trying to make use of shadow technology so yes once we found the shiny thing we're not going to let it go no 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 so um oh heck no this lays groundwork and uh not a whole lot got done with it Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. as far as other things um of course not only do we have um you know, well, we have, you know, the idea that Susan's, you know, got a week to live, um, and that's just enough time to get her back to Babylon 5 and Marcus to find the machine from way back in season one and the quality of mercy um, and break break in and get it out mm-hmm. so that he can give his life force to her and resurrect her. Um, so and, you know, thus thus is the the tragic, tragic love story uh, yeah. ends. The only other thing I can say about that is there is a short story floating around somewhere. I don't remember where it got published, where somehow or other Marcus is like cryo-frozen and then resurrected, you know, centuries later. And somehow or other... It was published in Amazing Stories, and it is entitled Space, Time, and the Incurable Romantic. And it is so creepy Creepy. and unfortunate. Creepy, yes. Basically, he he winds up with a... A, a clone with some of um, Susan's memories, but not all of them. Yeah. 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 Ew, um, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, come on. Fanfic can do better than that. <laughs> if you, if you want to get them together again, somehow there, there's better ways to do it. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
the other thing that I had noted down for spoiler space was um, sort of wondering wondering how much Londo and or the Alliance was thinking ahead. You know, what what reasons they might have had besides this is the right thing to do to support Sheridan. I mean, what happens is uh, once the dust settles, Earth Force insists that Sheridan step down, uh, he can no longer command Babylon 5. Um, And then the um, League of Non-Aligned Worlds morphs into the Interstellar Alliance and, hey, he's our president. And now Earth Force is just like wringing their hands because they feel like they're worse off than ever. Um, so I just, you know, I'm wondering if there were any political machinations going on um, underlying that move or if it just sort of worked out very happily for most involved. I really think it would be a stretch to think that any of them were thinking about pulling that entire group together with Sheridan at the head, like at this, at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's possible, I guess, but I I think that that's a little much. I think it's more, um, if you want to take the sort of cynical view of it, which I'm fine with, (laughs) it would be, it would be, you know, kind of the, the point that, that if this goes any farther, Earth is going to turn in on itself. Right. And it's already starting to get xenophobic. Right. And, I mean, just from like a commercial and political standpoint, they don't want Earth to become uh, a danger to right. you know, to the rest of society. So I feel like it is a, pragma- a, pr- a pragmatic move for them to do this. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they necessarily had any future designs as far as as far as Sheridan himself goes. I think it was more, um, you know, they're they are willing to go to bat to rescue him personally because he is the one that stood up for for all of them but um you know i had it gone that way that they had actually had to help rescue sheridan i wonder if you know if they had succeeded in rescuing him would they have then backed off just mm-hmm. the same way that they he asked them to in the first place like it right. seemed to me that that was the trigger he is himself bodily in danger right. and being tortured and stuff so they're going to help with him um but they they still haven't done anything else uh you know they're not they're not tooling around after ivanova and helping her out it's just sheridan mm-hmm. himself so i don't know so maybe you've got a point hmm. I, I think londo is capable of thinking that twistily i'm not sure that he was just i don't know that he would i don't know that the idea of of anybody else being in charge would be something that he would be aiming for this early in the game anyway mm-hmm. okay um is there anything else we can think of that uh touches on what's going to happen down the line uh, not me. i think i'm good i think i'm good i'm ready for mm. end game mm-hmm. okay <laughs> Yes, um, and we hope that our listeners are too, because that is what you are watching next. Uh, Again, as always, uh, you can find us at b5audioguide.com, b5audioguide on Twitter and Tumblr, uh, and we will see you in two weeks, um, and turn over everybody's cards and see what happens. Until then, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.